Turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 46. I'm continuing my theme of our series on attributes of God. This morning I want us to think about the theme of God as a helping God from Psalm 46. Uh, Yesterday, well this is Labor Day weekend, Labor Day weekend every year since I've been, since I can remember, I've gone dove hunting. Uh, That's the first day of dove season and that's something Dad and I did since I was, I guess, five or six years old. Went with him for a few years, and then by eight, I was shooting um, my own doves and having a great time. So yesterday, I did a little bit of dove hunting. I wasn't successful, but I had fun. You know, it always brings back memories. And it, uh, another thing I always did with my dad from eight years old on was duck hunting. And I've shared this with some of you before that as a result of spending so much time with ducks, I've learned their language. You know, some people don't know duck, but uh, I do. And it's, it's fun. It was fun learning duck as, as I grew up. You know, if we, we kind of weren't paying attention to what we were doing, uh, we would hear ducks go quack, 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 quack. And what that meant was, watch out, watch out, watch out. There's some dumb hunters around here, you know. And... You would hear that particular quack anytime you startled a duck. So we knew that was their signal to the other ducks to watch out. Well, one day I was, uh, uh, I was hunting, and there was just one mallard all by himself on the pond. And others were flying high over, and you just hear them go, and these ducks were just like, whoop, stop, and they're flying, just laying down. And, it, and another one would fly over and it, just like, I said, what's he saying? I mean, you hear that two or three or four or five years, and you finally say, I got it. He's saying, oh, this is good. Oh, this is good. This is good. You know, it's his feeding call. And he just, the other ducks would just jump in there. So you begin to learn their language. There was, there was one that I'd never heard until I got to Mississippi. And it just baffled me. Um, down, I used to hunt right off the Ross Barnett Reservoir, right off the Natchez Trace, just north of Madison, Mississippi, if you know that area, or south of Yazoo, Mississippi, home of Jerry Clower, you know. Ha! Some of you know him. Well, there was this refuge down there that uh, you had signs every 50 feet. It says, no trespassing, posted, wildlife refuge, and you could read the fine print. If you just stepped onto their property, you would lose... Everything you possess, your transportation, anything you were, you were carrying, that's how serious it was. This was a preserve for wildlife. And I hunted right beside it. So if, if the Ross Barnett Reservoir is where you're sitting, that's the water. There's a dirt road right beside the water. And then right beside the dirt road is the reservoir. The, the, I mean, the, excuse me, the preserve for the, the animals. So I could legally get right here in the water, and I could shoot. Right here, I'm illegal, and I'm carried off to jail, and everything's confiscated because the preserve's right there. You can't hunt on the road. You can't hurt, hunt in the preserve, but you, public land is water, so you, I could stand in the water, and I'd be standing here in the water right beside the preserve because that's where they're safe, you know, and I'd see these ducks flying. And they just come right over my head at like 65 yards up. That's too far for me. 
They're right close enough. And as soon as they got right here, they swooped down and go into the preserves. And as they made that swoop, it was quiet, 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 quiet. And it, have you ever had a duck laugh at you? It's just, it's humiliating. And I finally realized what they were saying. They weren't just saying, ha, ha, ha. They were saying, na, 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 boo, boo. And it got me thinking, you know, how cool it would be if we had a place like that where we could laugh in the face of trouble. We could laugh when people were trying to shoot us down. The Bible says God is that place. God is our refuge and strength. Look at Psalm 46 with me. Notice the theme that he wants us to see. He's that place of rest. He's that place of security where you and I can laugh in the face of trouble. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. So he's got this recurring theme he doesn't want us to miss, that God is our stronghold, our refuge, our strength, our security, our protection. He is the deity of the distressed, the downtrodden, the depressed. He's the savior of the sinner, the sick, the sorrowful. He's the warrior for the weak and the wounded and the weary. God is our refuge and strength. He's a helping God. He is here to help you and to help me. First of all, I want you to see his personal present help. The first three verses. Personal present help. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Notice the contrast he's making here for us. A contrast between what we would consider the most stable of commodities, land. He says, take the most stable and secure thing you can think about, a mountain, rocks, secure land, and then compare it to God. That's the contrast. He says, you can pick your most stable and secure commodity, you compare it to God, and God is far greater. He's standing when everything else falls down. He, and he is our refuge. He's our strength. That's pretty cool that the greatest strength, God's strength, can help us, is there for us. Um, you know, we, we all pick land as security. I, I go home because I like my home. It's a place of rest, the place where I feel secure. You pick your home for its peace and its rest. You pick other places for its peace and its rest. He says, as you think through that, I want you to begin to realize how much greater God is 
than any place you pick for rest. I mean, we see in this country uh, fire. How long would it take for fire to destroy your security? We see floods. We see earthquakes. We see tornadoes. We see hurricanes. Get outside of us, there's tsunamis. I mean, all of these natural disasters can wipe us out like that. Wipe out our earthly security. Which is why he says, I want you to know you have something much more stable and much more secure. Um, uh, that's, that's the point. You know, I, I love the illustration here, verses 2 and 3, that he gives us. He says, he says, though the earth should change, the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. I mean, I just get this imagery of maybe one of these California cliffs right on the ocean. You know, just this rock face that, that's there. And it just seems massive and strong and immovable. He says, you picture that cliff on the ocean and then just watch it slide into the sea. And the, and the water roar and foam and just devour it. He says, what you thought could never happen, bam, just happened. But did it mess with God? Did it destroy your security or your strength? And he says, no, absolutely not. Your refuge and strength is so much greater and so much stronger than that. That's his point. You know, we can boast of our, our uh, retirement accounts, our homes, our mountain retreat, uh, fallout shelter in the basement, whatever. It can go like that, but God doesn't. God is still with his people. Uh, don't, miss, don't miss the personal nature of that. This is more exciting than just how great and strong God is. God is whose refuge and strength? Third word, our. Man, that's a good word. He's not just present to help. He's personally engaged with his people. He's our personal refuge and strength. What a difference that makes. Uh, go to the ball game with uh, uh, one of your kids. Uh, let's say they're playing baseball, okay? Uh, and as they're playing baseball, you're in the stands, there's other people around you, you don't know everybody, everybody doesn't know you there, and all of a sudden, your kid's up at the bait, up at the plate, hits the ball, and the announcer says, look, it's, it's, it's going, it's going, it's, it's out of here! And somebody in behind you says, that was awesome, who did that? And what do you say? Uh, <clears throat> that was my kid. That was my daughter. That was my son. How important is that little word, that personal pronoun? That was mine. Or you have, you know, a hunk of a husband. How, how important is it to say, that's my husband? Or a beautiful wife. That's my wife. You see, those personal pronouns are huge to us. And that's what he's trying to get us to feel. This is our God. Who is our refuge and strength. He's not everybody's personal refuge. He is our refuge and strength. I mean, 
I don't know, as the psalmist is writing this, perhaps they're watching an earthquake. Remember the time of Korah, this psalm is written by the sons of Korah, when the ground opened up and swallowed people alive? He says, as you think, as you're watching an earthquake, as you're watching mountains topple into the sea, and you see it devour, and you, you look around, he says, but we're unaffected by this, and we're still existing. Why? Because God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. How awesome it is. Uh, to think, you know, this is not a hypothetical situation. God holds us and secures us, our refuge and strength. Even though we walk through a valley of deep darkness, God is with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. Well, not only see his personal present help, but see his persistent. Verses 4 through 7. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. God of Jacob is our stronghold. So his second theme here is this, this, that he he is there. Persistently. Never wavering. The illustration that he's giving us is of a city that has a river within it. And that river sustains the city. What do we need to survive more than water? Air and water. You know, uh, if you've got water and the enemy comes up against the city, you know, if they try to besiege you and starve you out, if you've got water in the city, it's like you're going to last longer than those outside the city who have to keep hauling it in for themselves or something, you're there, you're secure. And that's the illustration he's given it. Um, It reminds me of John 7. Uh, You might want to look there just real quick. A couple of verses. John 7, 37. Back in the day, this was the passage. I don't really remember why, but this was the passage I picked for my first sermon. John 7, 37 and 38, says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out, saying, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to drink, to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Psalm 46 is saying, The river flows from the inner part of the city. And sustains it. So though the enemy comes against it, it'll never be able really to starve it out. The city will be sustained. As we think about Christ coming into us through his spirit, his spirit lives in us and flows in us and out of us. Sometimes I want us to be able to respond to folks when they come and they say, you know, you should be troubled. Everything seems to be crashing around you. How, how are you making this? And our answer is, well, it's because we have drunk from the river that never runs dry. We've drunk of Christ. His spirit sustains us 
and it fills us no matter what is happening. He is within us. He's in the midst of his people, and he never runs dry. He is always there for us. Um, that's, that's the illustration of verses 4, 5, and 6 there in Psalm 46, that this, this river is there. No matter what others do, we're going to be sustained. Uh, we need that kind of help. We need to always know we have that kind of help. When I was um, my senior year in college, uh, caught a disease through bats doing caving, and my lung collapsed, and I'm in the hospital as a result for three weeks with tubes trying to drain fluid out of my chest cavity, tubes in both arms laying back like this. Have you ever laid someplace like this for a week or two? And you can't turn to the right or the left, and there's, there's pain, and there's agony, and there's grief, and you start crying. I never noticed, I never realized that if you cry in this condition, your ears fill up. And I, I couldn't even kind of shake my head to get the water out of my ears. When you're in that situation, your heart cries out, God, I don't need you in church. I need you here. I need you in the hospital bed. I need you now. Now is when I hurt. And God says, I'm there with you, even now. It reminded me of Isaiah 41.10. The Lord says, I am the Lord, and I am with you. Surely I will help you. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know, and 10 years later, I've told this story. I'm in the hospital again, this time for a week to 10 days with my three-year-old son who's been in a propane gas explosion and we're trying to minister to him under an oxygen tent. And again, you say, I... I don't need God somewhere else. I need him here. We have a God whose hands are not tied behind his back. He's not in the corner of the universe. He's not on a cloud. He's not even tied up in the hospital room. He is right here with us in the midst of his people to sustain us. He says, I am with you. I am your God. Surely I will strengthen you. Surely I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. That's a helping God. That's the kind of God we've got. He's not only personal, but he's persistent to be with us wherever we are, whatever it is we might be going through. You know, there's times where you need to go outside of yourself. Yes, you need to call Mark up and get counseling. You need to call Mark up and say, go give me a small group, right? You need that. But there's times when counseling is not available. The small group is not there for support. There's times when it's just you and God. And he's in the midst of us. It's personal. It's persistent. That's the glory of our God, that he's, he never abandons us. He's with us. He's with his church. Third, I want you to see his powerful help. Verses 8, 9, and 10. He's, he builds an argument to get you to verse 10 in verse 8 and 9. Here's the argument. Verse 8. Come. It's like, 
Come and let me tell you something. Come. Behold the works of the Lord. Like, this is, let's have a little discussion here. God says, I, I just want you to look at what some of the things I've done. He says, I've brought desolations in the earth. Make wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot with fire. So those are just, basically God is saying, those are just some of the things I do. You know, if you need a war to stop, I can do that. I can cut bows, I can cut spears, I can topple the whole army, I can just stop it. Uh, sometimes we think we stop wars through our military. God says, no, I, I'm the one who's got that. And desolations in the earth, when you see, you know, fire starts and stops, you know, how does that happen? God says, I got that. Now, why does he tell us this, give us this illustration of this mighty, awesome power that's just beyond us? It's to get us to verse 10. He says, so, basically, cease. That's in my translation. Cease. And know that I'm God. You remember this verse from the King James. Be still. And know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. Why, why do you need to cease? Why do you need to be still? He's not telling us here, be still and know that I'm God. He's not asking you to have personal devotions. He's not saying, go get your Bible, go sit in a quiet place, read your Bible, and pray. That is not this, that's not the command here. You can find that other places, but that's not what he's talking about here. The point is here, you're trying to stop wars. You're trying to solve life. And he says, cease. Stop it. Be still. Don't you know who is with you? The God who is never apart from you, who's your personal, present help in all of your trouble. So just stop and let God be God. Now, I get this every time I change a diaper. It's not that often. I did change one this week, just so you know. But when you're changing a diaper, why is it that the kid you're changing always wants to go the opposite direction from the direction you want to go? Especially if you're trying to put on pants or put on a shirt. You know, you're trying to pull it over their head and their arms are going, their feet are going, and you're trying to pull it and push it and put it somewhere. And at some point, do you ever get a little frustrated like me and you just say, Would you just be still? I got this. And that's what God's talking about here. He says, so much of time we are doing life like this, frantically trying to make it all work out. And God says, be still a minute. I got this. How many of you are trying to do life by yourself? Anxiously looking for a mate. Anxiously looking for a new job. Anxiously looking for a new house. Anxiously trying to get out of your financial stress. Anxiously trying to fix some problem. And God says, I can handle that. 
Stop. Be still. Come and watch me. When's the last time you've seen God work in and through you? Are you anxiously moving about? God says, why? Psalm Isaiah 41 said, why do you anxiously look about you? Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Anxious daughter, anxious son, anxious friend, anxious mom, anxious dad. Be still. And let God be God. What's the last thing you let God do? Or you took yourself out. You just quit striving. I'm not asking you to let go and let God. I'm not saying don't be personally responsible for the stuff in your life. But I'm saying, is God in the picture? Is God the primary partner? Are you saying, God, what do you want me to do? I'm going to let you take this, God. Tell me my part. But don't let me do it as though you're not here. Because you are my personal, persistent, powerful refuge and strength. You know, whenever I go looking for help, I look for three things. I think you do too. First of all, I look for somebody who cares. Personal. Do they care enough to do this? Number two... I want somebody who is persistent, not here today, gone tomorrow. Will they be here tomorrow when I might need them more? And then third, I'm looking for somebody who can do something I can't. Are they more powerful than me? And God fits the bill all, all three, all the time. He's personal, he's persistent. And he's powerful. How do we apply all of that? Number one, let me give you five things real quick. Seek God's daily help. Seek God's daily help. Not just in trying times. We can't handle life. We can't handle our sin. We can't handle death. We can't handle hell. We can't handle Satan. Seek God. He's personal, present, persistent, powerful help. We need him. Every hour, we need him. Number two, reject the notion that God needs our help. Where in this passage does it say anything about God needing us? I think it's a, a lie from Satan where you, you hear these songs, these sermons that says, God needs you to be his hands and his feet. Where is that verse? That God needs you to be his hands and his feet. Sure, God wants his people to be responsible and to use the gifts he's given us he can use our hands and feet. But where does he need it? God's clear in Scripture says, I don't need you to feed me. I don't need you to give me air. I don't need you to give me water. I don't need you to sustain me. I don't need you to rule this world. God is not in Psalm 46 saying, I need, I need you to come to church. I need you to do X, Y, Z. No, he said, you need me. I am your refuge and strength. God's not the needy one. We are the needy one. We need to get that message that it's not 
us, more of us that we need, reject that notion. You know, it helps me to know my significance too. Where does my significance come? My significance is not found in me doing things. My significance comes when God does things through me. That becomes a significant event whenever God dwells within a human and begins to, the world begins to behold God and his work. Let us reject the notion God needs us. We need him, and that's going to change everything. Number three, rejoice and give thanks for God's personal, persistent, and powerful work. You know, it should just lead us to sing and to praise. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. He is our hope. He is the rock on which we stand, our solid rock. All other ground is sinking sand. Do we sing these songs of praise, adoration, because of who he is? Number four, abandon our fear of whatever is before or behind or around us. If the God of Jacob is your stronghold, who will you fear? There's, we should not be afraid. We can walk in the darkness. God controls the darkness. The earth was, the world was without light, without form, dark and void. And God steps in and exercises control as he still does today. So abandon your fear and trust in the Lord. Number five, reject false security in things, in circumstances, in people. The main emphasis here is not, you need a good emergency fund. You need a good retirement account. You need a good debt-free home. No. You may need all of those things. That may be responsible to have all of those things. But the emphasis is we need God. Our refuge and strength. Never failing. Uh, when everything else falls apart, our things, our jobs, our houses, our land our relationships, God still is. Our personal, persistent, powerful refuge. I hope you know him. If you don't let me know, I would just consider it the greatest privilege to talk to you more about a helping God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace, your mercy to us to be our God, our Father, our brother, our helper amidst the strife of this world. You are our stronghold, our strength, our goodness. You give us grace when the world gives us pain. You give us pleasure. You give us joy. You give us the ability 